0: the Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, final day meltdown. For a spell, City with the biggest villa nightmare since Grand Designs. Liverpool with the worst performance against Wolves since the first two little pigs. But in the end, the Premier League's midsummer afternoon's dream ended as you were. We look back from the top to the bottom, which did see a change as we wave bye-bye to Burnley. Final day conclusions from peak pep to Mike Dean's final piece on this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Alright then, listener. Here we go. Monday 23rd of May. Dust settling on another Premier League season. And here with us today, Daniel Storey, Adrian Clark, and Tom Williams. Hello, everyone
1: morning. Hello. Hello, James.
0: right. Tom's bright and cheery because he's staying over in Paris, which is quite a popular choice these days, of course. Well, indeed, yes.
2: Haven't seen any uh, Liverpool fans yet, Um, but I I suspect the longer the week goes on, uh, the more the chances of bumping into them will
0: increase. Of of course. Of course, because they're going to be playing there on Saturday. I was thinking about the other staying in Paris story, The Kylian Mbappé story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get get the hot take reaction from the French capital from you a a little bit later on, Tom, because so much to discuss and, of course, so much of it about the Premier League. What an extraordinary final day. How was final day for you, Daniel, Adrian?
3: Yeah, I uh, I was working it from home to get these season reviews written, which... I was desperately excited about. I, I think that the, most of the time it's far better being at the game, but on the final day, it's it's absolutely brilliant television. It really is. I, I I believe we should have at least two or three a season where every team plays at the same time, and we get this kind of, as Tom as Tom said, the the French describe it as the multiplex, where you just dash around digitally from game to game and and see the goals going in. It is. It is sporting TV at its best.
4: Mm.
0: Adrian, you made a unique decision to sit this one out at the Emirates. Far <laughs> from any kind of drama.
1: <laughs> yeah, no drama. No, it was it was standard last day of the season nonsense really at Emirates Stadium. <laughs> it was a little bit chaotic. Um, Arsenal cut loose, but yeah, what I found myself doing was uh, in the second half just just watching my phone or my laptop just to see what was going on. I couldn't really tell you the inner details of Arsenal's tactical display in that mm. second half because too much was going on. I agree with Daniel. I really do. I think that, that it just works brilliantly to watch it on TV on the final day of the season. I don't know if it would work as brilliantly on any other day of, of the campaign because everything's at stake or so much was at stake yesterday. But yeah, it was um, probably a day to be at home uh, following the action.
0: Wow. Oh. Or a day to be at the Etihad, uh, which Sam Lee of The Athletic was. Uh, We'll come to him very, very shortly. I think it would work pretty much on any season. Because one of the weird things about football is that even though at the end of the season, you know that none of the days actually meant that much. At the time, they all felt like they are absolutely the big verdicts. Anyway, for I don't know how long it was on Sunday afternoon, we had this extraordinary situation of both title rivals simultaneously living through their kind of personal final day nightmare scenario. City needing three goals in 15 minutes to save their season because, of course, Liverpool were going to beat Wolves. But Liverpool, at the same time, with that door stretching open in front of them, unable to get across. I mean, yeah, it was the ultimate last day knife edge.
2: Um, and I, I was watching it here in Paris, preparing for the, the TV show that I do. And, and when you know that you've got to sort of go on TV and, and talk about what's happening... You know, in moments after the final, in, in French as well, uh, it really brings home the kind of you know the, the endless possibilities um, that exist in that moment. And as you say, there was a, there was a period with City two 0 down and having an absolute nightmare, where you just I felt in my gut Liverpool are going to do this. They're drawing one one at home to a Wolves team who've got nothing to play for. They've got all the big guns out on the pitch now. They are going to score the goal they need. This is what this Liverpool team does. And I think had they scored a goal at at, at that moment, would have got back to City. And you can just imagine the sort of emotional impact that would have on the entire stadium, knowing all of a sudden that that Liverpool have got one hand on the trophy. So for City to kind of get to the end of that tightrope, um, and then claw their way back into the goal. I mean, I'm still. I've, I feel like my my heart rate hasn't fully returned to normal after watching, you know, that that burst of City. What was it? Three goals in five and a half minutes, five and a mm. half minutes or something. Absolutely incredible. And yeah, it's that. It's the chaos of, of the final day. It's it's that those multiple possibilities, those kind of multiple spinning plates, and you know, you're not sure which way they're all going to fall. And it was fantastic. And and there have been. Accusations that the title race has perhaps lacked a bit of of drama, maybe because these teams are so invulnerable, are so consistent, are so impressive, are such mm. great teams. So I think that that we, you know, for the for the title race to conclude in such dramatic fashion uh, was really great and was really fitting, and and gave what might have otherwise looked like a, a procession of two teams just basically cruising their way to the end of the season without showing any sort of vulnerability, this real sense of danger, this real sense of, of, of being on the tightrope and, and, and mm. things potentially you know, going one way or the other.
0: Yeah, that must have been quite a shock to your French audience hearing about a final day uh, title race drama like, like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, were, they, were they very moved by it? And also I'm really intrigued by your notion that had Liverpool scored, we'll never know of course, but that might have just tipped the balance. That might have made it psychologically for City a bridge too far. What what do you think Daniel and uh, and Adrian, yeah, do you agree
3: with that? Uh, yeah, I think I mean I think I think City changed their own destiny in and of itself first by bringing on Zinchenko to stretch the game left and then bringing on Raheem Sterling to stretch the game right and Villa really couldn't cope with that. I, I thought one of the the o- slightly overlooked things in all the madness was the cross from Raheem Sterling from the first goal to a perfect position was extraordinary really. Um so I think City kind of, they, they wrestled it back themselves. But I think Tom's right. It's pretty clear that, you know, in the age of, you know, smartphones and information at your fingertips, every City fan knew what was going on. They were already nervous. The atmosphere, I thought one really interesting thing about the final day was how Liverpool as the chasers. The atmosphere felt joyous at Anfield until the point that City had gone behind. And then suddenly they felt nervous. Whereas City, they were nervous throughout. The atmosphere didn't come across particularly well. It was clear, you know, the shots of people in the stands, everyone was incredibly nervous. And the other, I mean, the other thing that I thought was, I mean, really enjoyable if you're a City fan, but also as a neutral, was the manner in which they kept the ball in the corner in the final probably eight minutes of the game. Just that control to hold off Villa players, win the throw, win the free kick, hold the ball. After all that drama, it would have been very easy to get carried away. The way that the way they immediately went from chaos mode to control mode was pretty extraordinary, I thought.
1: Yeah. I felt that Manchester City earned this by showing the mentality of champions. Their backs were to the wall. The pressure couldn't have been more intense. I think everybody at the Etihad Stadium expected Liverpool to score, even though they didn't get news or word of a Liverpool goal. I think they all knew that a draw wasn't enough. So... You ha- I think you have to applaud the way that they rouse themselves. You have to applaud Pep Guardiola's choice of changes. It was so Pep, wasn't it, to to pick Fernandinho at centre-back on the day where he comes up against one of the quickest strikers in the Premier League. Actually, he's statistically the second quickest striker in the Premier League behind Mo Salah, and that's, that's Ollie Watkins. To pick... To pick Fernandinho from the start there was just typical Pep weirdness on a big night or a big day, but he did correct it. And and Gundogan is just one of the best in the business, isn't he? Ghosting into the box to to score goals. So yeah, I, I think yeah they earned it the tough way there, Manchester City, and uh, yeah you you have to take your hat off to them.
0: Well indeed. All right. Well, as I mentioned, Sam Lee was at the Etihad
5: for scenes. Let's hear from him now.
1: You're listening to the
5: Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
0: Sam, first off, I don't think I've
6: ever heard a noise like that. Maybe anywhere, but certainly not at the Etihad. Well, I mean... I not an, not an ideal position to start, but um, I can't really tell you what happened. It, all, it honestly all happened in a blur. I, I don't really remember the, the the people kicking the ball and the, and the noises that happened. It was just yeah a maelstrom of goals, um, disbelief. You know, I saw people walking up the steps. I don't think they were leaving, but maybe going to collect their thoughts somewhere when they were two 0 down, and then to to come back and do it that quickly. There was there was no time to think. It was a bit like. You know, I hate to bring this one up for City fans, but it was a bit like when they went out against Real Madrid. There's just no time; things are happening that nobody can seem to control. And then, yeah, when you get swept up along with that, as as obviously the fans would have done, um, to go from that despair of not just look, it would have been a kind of historic collapse on the final day, which would have you know stuck with them forever. But also, the thought for City fans of Liverpool winning everything was just too much to stomach and obviously for a a good period of time that was exactly how it looked um mm. and all of those feelings kind of crystallizing in this you know in a kind of environment it feels like you can't escape you you go there to to lift the trophy and have one of the best days of your life and all of a sudden you're just there just with your own kind of fears and anxieties being reflected back at you by the thousands of people around you, that everywhere you could see. The players as well, it looked like. It looked like the players had completely gone. Everything had gone, kind all hope was gone. And then, yeah, to, to score three yeah. goals in what, four minutes, 45 seconds or whatever it was. No wonder there was a noise like that because look, comebacks happen in football and I'm not saying this was the best one ever, but mm. there, there's not too many like that in, in the way it panned out and for this City team that normally, they, they normally win matches. But when they don't win them, You can see it coming a mile off. And that's how it looked yesterday. It seemed like they weren't going to get the job done. And then suddenly Mm. they got it done in such dramatic, dramatic fashion. Pep in tears at the final whistle. The second game in a row when his
0: city side had gone two down. A partial comeback last time. But this time, returning from a two-goal deficit to win a Premier League game for the first time since Norwich in 2005. The Delia Smith, let's be having you game.
6: Yeah, well, this is it. The top and the bottom of it was City don't normally come from behind to win. And yeah, we saw those those stats last weekend when things looked hopeless at West Ham and they did claw their way back into it. It's, it's mad to think that at the start of last Sunday morning, they knew they just needed four points to win the league. And the manner that they've got those four points <laughs> is remarkable. But it, it's good. I mean, this is the kind of thing I, I wrote about after the game, you know, I said earlier on, City normally win, but when they don't, you can see it coming. You just think right. all the passing triangles and the crosses that it's not it's not really working. But obviously, normally it's it's like four percent of their matches or whatever. It doesn't matter. But that's maybe why new oh look. I know why a lot of neutrals don't like City or find it hard to to warm to them. But when there was this debate about them being boring earlier in the season, um, kind of almost too clinical, too efficient, you know, it it was more kind of like fine art like opera, compared to the you know, the old heavy metal football of, of Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. But I get that. You know, City, they don't want counter-attack, so they play in a way that they're not going to let you counterattack, which means a million passes, and it might not be the best to watch, but, you know, it's, it's incredibly difficult to do, and it makes them one of the most sophisticated, best teams of all time. Whereas, on the other hand, you've got Klopp, who's also one of the most sophisticated, best teams of all time, but in a more chaotic, kind of frantic way, with more emotion, more raw energy. They're the ones that score two or three goals they're the ones where when they went 2-0 down to Villarreal and everyone mm. think who everyone who was like in Madrid with me the city fans hoping that they were going to go out everyone knows really that they are going to come back you can't stop them they are irrepressible city don't kind of have that edge even though they've got basically everything else but then yeah to come back 2-0 down last week to 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 get the draw there obviously the penalty as well which which could have made it 3 and then to do it yesterday it, it was that kind of raw emotional side that this, this city don't show too often so to add that into their repertoire on the final game it, it just it demonstrates their personality and their personality for me was never in question for Guardiola of course it was never in question you know they're not just some robots that play football in a sanitized environment and can only win when things are going their way you know if they need to if they need to get the job done they, they can do it and there's a special thing kind of building at the club in terms of being able to get the job done you know for all the typical city pessimism of the supporters okay yes they did do things the hard way but they just they just always get the job done and that's that's a hell of a thing to say for a football club.
4: Hmm.
0: Although you can understand why people doubted it at 2-0 down and particularly as you say with Liverpool and that ability to always come back while Liverpool were having stage fright against Wolves at the Etihad how much anxiety was there and can you just break down for a second
6: how Pep changed the game around? Yeah, so, okay, in terms of the the anxiety, obviously Wolves scored early and mm. the City fans are still in the, mo- the mood of, okay, we'll probably get early goals here and Wolves are, are winning anyway, so we've got a, a great cushion. But then City weren't actually doing too much in the first half. Um, I tweeted at halftime, I was like, I don't know if this is just me overreacting because obviously they, they were losing and I thought, well, they're going to have to do something. Um, but I felt like the spaces they were getting the ball in, which is usually Cancelo wide on the left, kind of cutting inside. Or He was trying to play those reverse balls in behind, but normally they were going out of play. He was cutting inside. If he was trying to shoot, he was getting blocked. You know, it, if they switched it to the other side with Mares on the corner of that box over there, you know where Mahrez is going to be. In your mind's eye, if I say Mahrez has got the ball, you know where he's going to be. Cutting inside. It just felt like that way to attack the spaces wasn't working. And obviously, in terms of changing the game, Fernandinho, bless him, had to come off. He had to come off. Like He would have known. Last game for City, playing centre-back. So, I mean, look, we'll we'll give Guardiola full credit in a second, but I I thought it was very strange to move John Stones, a great centre-back, to right-back, to accommodate Fernandinho, who can't play centre-back, was very unusual. But Guardiola fixed that half-time, brought Zinchenko on, Stones in the middle, Cancelo over to right-back, fine. The other one was sterling on for mares so sterling instead of coming inside like mares did stay wide um, give it a different option dribble to the line if you if you can cut the ball back do those kind of things and obviously Gunderwin. so grealish didn't come on and if you think if you're looking at it at two nil down and mm. you're thinking how how are the storylines after this game going to go grealish not coming on against villa let alone not starting would have been a real what was Guardiola thinking kind of thing. Surely you get him to do it. Surely you need somebody to do that. Why are you bringing on a kind of midfielder who just sits deep and passes the ball when you need goals and whatever? But Gundogan coming on is effectively like bringing on a striker. Guardiola says Gundogan is the one, the best in the team at knowing and sensing those positions. He said, it's arriving at the box, not a second too early and not a second too late. You're doing it at the exact right moment. So when Gundogan comes on, you're not getting Gundogan the deep-lying midfielder, the playmaker, the passmaster, you're getting the penalty box poacher. Um, so bringing on Grealish, I'm not sure where he would have fitted in because they wanted the right foot on the right-hand side, so that was Sterling. If you'd have brought um, Grealish on for the left, he'd have been cutting inside, but you wanted Foden on the left to stretch that one wide as well, to work in tandem with Zichenko. And that worked. And then, yeah, they, they created those spaces for Gundogan and obviously the, the two goals. So that's how... Despite everything and despite how it looked, he, um, Guardiola managed to get a handle on it and and turn it around just to get the ball into the box and get the man who knows how to get on the end of it.
0: Sam Lee. Well, as for Liverpool, in the end, it didn't matter, but it looked like it was going to. They come from behind, three-one win against Wolves.
3: Yeah, and I mean they were they were as fortunate as City, I thought, in terms of. N- You know, they didn't require a two-goal comeback and they had a lot more time to do it. But at 1-1, you know, I'd already switched over typically when City went 2-0 down because I thought Liverpool only need a goal so I should watch this game now and therefore I'll miss three goals at the Etihad. Um, But Wolves had so many chances, like three-on-one breaks, four-on-two breaks, poor passes behind the man there were at least two two times when there was a player in probably 10 yards of space in the penalty area waiting for a cutback and the ball either didn't come to them quickly enough or didn't come to them at all so so liverpool you know they they i think that demonstrates that they understood what was going on and that there was a desperation to score goals and i think there's also an argument the only slight criticism of liverpool season is that at times they have allowed themselves to get involved in these chaotic matches you know they drew 5 games 2-2 two, two. they drew with Brentford 3-3 three, three. they lost 3-2 at West Ham when Klopp looks back over the season i think he may he may wonder whether the the kind of high defensive line and the fullbacks brilliant at pushing on but whether that occasionally just kind of pushed them into chaos but chaos kind of worked for them against Wolves because they felt like they needed to throw everything at it with nothing to lose and and in the end they they were the better team.
1: Yeah, what is it with early goals? Uh, they've conceded so many early goals lately, haven't they, Liverpool? So sort of having to come back from behind has, has been a bit of um, a, a recurring theme and and one of the weird sort of narratives of the final day was how bad Liverpool and Manchester City both of them were defending goal kicks. I mean, in the entirety of the season, can we really remember them being troubled by Long, you know, long balls from opposition goalkeepers. Yet Liverpool conceded from one. Manchester City were all over the place a couple of times from 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 goal kicks. It was yeah, it was very very strange. But but yeah, they got there in the end. I did enjoy Jurgen Klopp congratulating Manchester City by looking directly into the mm. camera. I thought that I thought that was that was a particularly interesting way to to sign off. He's he's becoming a bit of a pro, isn't he, Jurgen? And
2: yeah, and just to follow on from Adrian's point about the vulnerability that Liverpool and City both showed, I think that is part of their charm, that they are two such attacking teams that take such risks, leave so much space in behind. And, you know, Liverpool's uh, offside trap is is famously well honed. uh, And, and, you know, City are obviously uh, a very accomplished uh, defensive team as well. But I think that's that's one of the most charming things about this, this rivalry, that they are two teams who... Who seek to go out and impose themselves on their opponents, and in terms of the head-to-heads this season, that's how they've gone into those matches as well. Uh, and it, it feels, it feels like a really positive thing for the Premier League that that both managers have this outlook of wanting to be a protagonist, of, of wanting to go out and, and play their sort of football uh, and and impose themselves. Um, and a consequence of that is that, you know, occasionally, you know, that there are moments when they look vulnerable. And I think we've seen that in, in the games, uh, you know, b- between the two of them this season. That The dynamic between the kind of blood and thunder football of, of Klopp and, and the slightly sort of, the slightly kind of cleaner, more precise football of Man City, I, I think that's, that's sort of a, a key ingredient in, in the rivalry, that that although both managers expose this very attacking philosophy, they, they kind of go about it in different ways as well.
0: Mm. Well, they've given us a tremendous season, a tremendous finale to the season. Of course, the campaign not quite over for Liverpool yet. And Saturday in Paris, the Clash of Real Madrid win that and they can feel a lot better about how uh, the campaign's been. On a less positive note, though, post the final whistle at the Etihad, again, a pitch invasion, again, a visiting player assaulted by fans as they ran onto the pitch.
3: Yeah, it's becoming a, a theme. I wrote a column on it last week. I've got no issue with, with pitch invasions you know, in isolation as a concept, um, generally because I think our a kind of hazy memory of them as being completely joyous occasions of fans either hugging each other or hugging players and then congregating around either the tunnel or the the director's box for maybe the players to come out or the manager to come out and say a few words and everyone, you know, everyone have a brilliant time, but the tone on those has basically shifted in maybe not in recent weeks. I think it's longer term than that. And I think that the Euro 2020 final was, you know, a milepost in that shift but I think football's authorities have got a real problem on their hands because um, it's basically impossible to stop because stewards aren't paid enough. Or there's not enough of them and they're not well-trained enough to stop hundreds of people running at them. That's, that's not their job. Their job is to police crowd safety within the stands. It's, it's hard for them to do anything else. Um, so you're, you're effectively reliant on the goodwill or the self-policing of, of supporters. And 99% of them, or probably more than that, behave very well and just want to you know have a good time and mark the moment although they are asked not to do it and some of them don't and the ones that don't will ruin it for everyone else but you know governing bodies can't act on it's only one percent they have to focus on that one mm. yeah. percent
0: what, what do they do moats with crocodiles do you think or what or... <laughs> I, I think i think
3: it's very hard because look we've seen the demonization of football supporters before um, which is unacceptable. We've seen the use of fencing, which is unacceptable. Um, so I think it probably has to be a punishment-led reaction. I think it has to be, you know, you work with clubs to say, look, we will close grounds. And yes, that still punishes the majority, but mm. something has to happen. Or you, And you say in repeated instance, then, you know, we will look at points deductions and hope that kind of forces some some notion of self-policing amongst supporters to, to think twice. What, a, what about just hard, a though. bigger
1: deterrent? What just about a, a bigger deterrent for the actual fans? You know, for, the, for football authorities work with the government, we know that we know that it's illegal, but what, what is the punishment? No one, no one knows. No one seems to care. No one's frightened by the fact that they are breaking the law by going onto the pitch. It is so dangerous. Players do not like it. They've never liked it. They are scared and justifiably so there could be a lunatic carrying a weapon that that causes a tragedy easily easily so i i think there has to be a very clear deterrent i don't know what that is is it you know if you step foot on the pitch it's a grand you know it's a big fine you right. know that that will be implemented it will it would put me off if i was if i was that kind of person that might want to run onto the pitch i, I just feel that that you have to punish these people. Um, yeah, you can't have fences. You can't we we have
0: think them. of fan trouble as, as a, an English thing, but Tom, this has been a real issue in, in France. Have they kind of made any moves towards a solution?
2: I mean, the difference in France is that things like this have been happening all season. It's mm. only really... I mean, and there have been incidences in England, um, in, in, in Britain, of, of fan disorder. But this recent spate of pitch invasions is the sort of thing you get at the end of every season. This is when pitch invasions happen because fans are celebrating a big victory or avoiding relegation or, or what have you. The worrying thing... And, and, and I think Daniel's right to link this back to what happened at the Euro twenty twenty final is that that kind of contract, if you like, that existed between the the authorities and the football fans. That well, of course, you can run onto the pitch if you want to because it's it's just there and it's not heavily policed, But you don't. That we've all kind of just observed. It kind of feels like it's it's sort of been ripped up in a way. It feels like there's a kind of there's a certain element in kind of modern fan base that that, that that doesn't respect that 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 boundary um and, and i think you know there are there are societal reasons for it you know we saw that with 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 the disorder before the Euro 2020 final i think social media probably plays a part as well this idea that everyone is a protagonist that everyone deserves to have their sort of moment and and that it's you know an entirely normal thing to to stick your middle finger in patrick Vieira's face and and, and, and swear at him, which is which is absolutely horrendous. So, so all, there are all so, all sorts of you know factors behind it. But I, I, I don't see the, the need for any great kind of moral panic. This happens at the end of every season. Punish the people who are overstepping the line. And let's hope that come the end of next season, perhaps with a bit more, slightly more sensible policing or, or, or more police
0: in place, we, we can avoid this again. Mm. All right. Well, plenty of other things to be debating on this final weekend of the season next up. A battle at the bottom.
4: It may be the third string of the European tournaments, but the Europa Conference League final of 2022 at Tirana has thrown together a couple of really big names in European football as Roma take on Feyenoord. Roma have had an eventful route to this final including a 6-1 loss at one stage to Bodo Glimt of Norway but they've been in great form in the knockout stages and got to the final courtesy of a 2-1 aggregate victory over Leicester City they were of course in the European Cup final not so long ago and they are attempting to win the first ever European trophy and who better than Jose Mourinho to guide the Italians to the promised land their opponents fire an order the last Dutch team to win a European trophy that was back at the UEFA Cup 20 years ago they've also had an eventful spin into the final and they held on against Marseille in the semi-final to record a 3-2 aggregate victory at the time of recording the betting is very close here Roma are 5-4 fine order 21-10 we saw the Europa Cup final go to penalties between Eintracht Frankfurt and Rangers the draw on this one is 23-10 and Sunday sees the richest game in world football As Nottingham Forest take on Huddersfield As the riches of the Premier League awaits Both of these Forest making a first ever trip to Wembley Whereas Huddersfield are no stranger there They were promoted via the playoffs On penalties five years ago now that looks like another close game could be in store here. Huddersfield at 12-5, the draws 21-10 and Forrest are 21-20 to, to reach the Premier League. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed Paddy Power's app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. Be And remember, take time to think.
5: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pearce, Ollie Kaye and the very best football writers around. 2021 was the first campaign
0: in the Premier League's history when it was mathematically possible, might have needed the odd 18-0, for each position in the league to change going into the final run of matches. As you know, there were one or two movements. Brighton ending up in ninth. Also, Leeds stayed up and Burnley went down. Burnley relegated after five seasons in the Premier League. Feels like longer, I guess. Mm. Anyway, best Burnley moments. Are you going to miss them? How serious is the danger now to the Clarets? Uh,
3: I mean, the best Burnley moment, uh, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, was... Uh, Sean Dyche's personality becoming so all-encompassing in in the Premier League that he was forced to deny rumours that he ate worms at a pre-match press conference.
1: (laughs) That that didn't happen. That
3: really. I mean, it's one of those things that if you haven't seen it for the first time, I'm incredibly jealous of you, Adrian,
4: because it is (laughs) superb. (laughs) He's a good lad, sorry. And uh, no, I I definitely, for the record, I definitely don't eat worms. Although Bear Grylls would probably be happy with me. You'd probably go, yeah, a little worm omelette or something. You'd probably be all right with that.
2: My favourite Burnley moment, Oops. and a moment where I felt Burnley kind of achieved their their final form, and I'm pleased it happened before they were relegated, was Sean Dyche sending out um, a team at Liverpool in August uh, with the players wearing shirt numbers one to eleven in an old-fashioned four four two, with every player in the correct position. The number two at right back, the number eleven on the left wing. Um, I mean, there is no more Burnley thing than that. Uh, and I'm pleased that we got to see that at least once uh, before they bade farewell to the
1: Premier League. Uh, here, that is <laughs> That was wonderful, wasn't it? Um, look, mine is not funny. It's just, it's just. I think that their, their best moment maybe in the Premier League, 3-0 up at Chelsea at halftime on the opening day of the season against the champions, Chelsea. Conte's men had, had, had swept all before them previous season, and, and they just capitulated. I think Cahill got sent off quite early on. They were 3-0 up at half-time. They still won three goals to two. But, yeah, that that's probably a, a day they'll look back on with with pride. But, yeah, Sean Dyche is Burnley, isn't he? When you, when you think about Burnley memories, most of them are, sort of revolve around him and his ways. Hmm. All right. Not sure what the his future way. is for
0: Sean Dyche. Not sure what the future is for Burnley either, because... This risk that the unusual terms of the takeover, which befell them during the season, has placed them in, how much danger are they in?
3: They're in a potentially in a real pickle. I mean, in in black and white, the report of those terms of the, the agreement and the repayments of the agreement, should they go down, in black and white, they look very scary. Now, clearly, those sort of things can be, you know, renegotiated and. There's not a you know we we do, we don't know what the actual demands will be in practice because I don't think Burnley so they certainly hope that they weren't going to be relegated and they they certainly didn't think they would be when those terms were you know were written up but even away from that they are in a pickle because James Tarkovsky is going to leave on a free transfer Ben Mears out of contract and the fact that he took. The coaching job suggests that he, he maybe sees his future away from the pitch. Matez Vija, Eric Peters are also out of contract. They need a new manager and it's a very difficult project to sell to potential managers at the moment. I know Jerry Barton's been linked from, from Bristol Rovers, um, but it's amazing how quickly a club can fall when... Burnley were seen as a consolidated Premier League team and now they're look, potentially looking at managers who have just been promoted from League Two and kind of working out where they sit and what where the squad sits. And it's never been an easy sell to players um, and it became an easier sell because of Sean Dyche. And, and Adrian's right, he was them and they were he. And without him, suddenly it's kind of hard to know what Burnley stand for. And the ownership questions only add to that.
0: When you talk about how fast... Clubs can fall, of course, Leeds know all about that. They were the other side of this relegation final day drama uh, with the 2-1 victory away at Brentford. Jesse Marge collapsing on the sidelines. Such was his joy,
1: Adrian. Yeah, a little bit embarrassing, wasn't it? Um, (laughs) Was it? Yeah, that bit. Yeah, a little bundle. I don't know. I don't know. Man on man, writhing around the technical area. What's appropriate, do you feel? (sighs) Not that.
0: OK, you feel that was a bit D.H. Lawrence? Do you know what? I'm
1: just not a Jesse Marsh fan. I have to say, I'm pleased for Leeds. I'm really pleased for Leeds. I think it's great for the Premier League that they survived. I I loved their bravery of football under Bielsa, even though it was absolute carnage towards the end. I love the way that they, they went about it to, to outscore the opposition, to try something different. So there's lots to love about Leeds. I just don't know whether this guy is a very good manager. I just don't know if tactically he is the man to take them forward. Inside that technical area, he's so manic. So I know you shouldn't judge a manager by, by his reactions to things, but he's just so hyped. And, uh, and some of his decisions I think have been a bit odd, r- r- using Rafinha as a wing back, for example, just weird. Um, and, and, and I think that, that tactically he kind of got away with it. Uh, they, they need to improve massively. Um, if they're to avoid this sort of scenario next season. And yeah, it just wouldn't surprise me if Marsh is, kind of doesn't doesn't see out next season. Just not sure about him. I mean, they need players, don't they,
2: Leeds? I mean, you, you look at that squad and, OK, you have the slight anomaly of Rafinha, who is one of the best players uh, in the world um, and who scored an absolutely sensational penalty and, and has pulled them out of countless holes this season uh obviously patrick bamford has has been absent for long periods uh in in a way that seemed to embody his recent woes was was set to to play at Brentford and then it ends up coming down with with covid and actually being quite poorly with it uh, by all accounts but you set those two two players aside and obviously you've got kevin phillips, but i mean that, that is that is a very thin squad and and the the miracle of of what bielsa did last season and and you know uh, in the early part maybe of this season was was managing to turn uh, what was effectively still a group of championship players into uh, a team capable of mixing it with the very best in in the Premier League but Particularly with the injuries biting, they were always going to struggle to do that in in the long term. So I think that if if March is going to set down any kind of foundations whatsoever next season, they're going to really need to to bolster that squad because you you suspect you know Rafinha at the very least that the profile he ha- he has now, particularly now that he's you know that he's he's a Brazil international, I mean he'll almost certainly be off, so so he'll need replacing for one.
3: I I, I, I broadly agree with Adrian on Jesse March in that. Uh, I'm just I have no idea if he's a good manager or not. I don't yeah. I don't necessarily think
1: he's a bad one. I've just yeah, got yeah. no idea if he's a yeah, good manager. Yeah, that's man. where I'm at with him. Um,
3: too. <laughs> but we should I mean what we should say is that he took over a squad who had had a dogmatic manager who was incredibly popular and who the fans still chanted the name of even before and during the final day against Brentford. That team that, that Bielsa had had taken seven points from eleven games and he took fifteen from twelve, which is a small sample size, but over the course of the season would have put Leeds twelve which I think they probably would have taken at the start of the season. I think he's done a good job there in very difficult circumstances, but I agree with Adrian that I've got absolutely no idea what type of manager he is or whether he's a
1: good one. Yeah. If they'd have had five more players, James, they wouldn't have been near the relegation zone, no matter who the manager was. That, I think, and Tom hinted at that, that was the crux of it. It was the lightest of light squads and... And, yeah, they relied on luck and in a lack of injuries and suspensions. And that's exactly what they got. They got a, a stack of suspensions and injuries. And, yeah, it was it was crazy, really, to go into this season with, with so few players, I think.
3: Leeds managed to get 99 bookings this season, which is, I think, 26 more than any other team, which is mighty impressive. You look at between them and Everton, who managed to get six red cards, like the the ill-discipline not necessarily in terms of sort of bad behaviour or violent conduct, but just kind of being caught out of position and therefore having to foul or making the wrong decision and diving in rather than standing you know, standing your man up. There's so, so much of that in both clubs this season. They've got to solve
4: that. Place your bets. Welcome to Pep Roulette. So Feeling confident today, me. And your selection? Just start up front, blue number nine and 26, uh, 17 as well, just behind the front two, like. Excellent. Good luck blue number seven unlucky sir so. oh still and he started last week predicting pep's lineups is hard but fortunately we've made our bet builder easy simply choose a top pre-built bet builder click add to bet slip select your stake and done Paddy power online exclusive t's Supply, apply 18 plus be gamble this
3: episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official
2: beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
5: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Burnley go
0: down, Bournemouth, Fulham coming up, and of course one other team. Ooh, next Sunday we find out who, Daniel?
3: Yes, I've got a, a Champions League final on Saturday night, which I think I'm probably the only one that considers that the starter to, to Sunday's main course. <laughs> uh, yes, um, there is the, the small matter of a playoff final, which Forest are favourites for, and we're, Adrian and I were talking before the show, which seems, given how they played in the second leg under intense pressure, it seems, I mean, not just with my own biases, but I cannot believe that Forest are such significant favourites for that game. I just feel they're a very smart team under Carlos Corboran. And uh, yes, I think it will be another knife edge playoff final, put it that way.
0: Crikey, and a long wait for you for that game to roll around. Totally Football League show is out today with Matt Davis Adams at the helm. They'll be looking forward to that. Also, looking back on poor Duncan Alexander's Wickham Wanderers, who were beaten 2 0 by Sunderland. I mean, of course, yay for Sunderland. Who finally win a playoff final? That was on Saturday. Black Cats victorious after three previous playoff final defeats, and they returned to the championship after four years down in League One.
1: They played great, James, on the day. Yeah, they've got some really talented players, and it was just a, a sort of un Wickham-like performance. Wickham are brilliant at disrupting the opposition at making life awkward making it their type of game and they, they couldn't they were they were a yard off sometimes I think Wembley just gives you not jelly legs but you get Wembley legs mm. and they try yeah that's kind of what it is and they were a yard off and that was all Sunderland needed to to get their quality players their quality forwards into the best areas and yeah they, they were deserving winners and yeah it's it's nice it's, I think it would be nice to have them back in the championship. Hmm, excellent.
0: Also uh, out on Monday, is well, very late on Monday, Totally Football Show Europe, again with Matt Davis-Adams at the helm, because I'm off. Uh, James Horncastle, Alvaro Romeo and Julian Laurence be on board for that. Tom, I imagine they're going to be talking about that news I suspect it may crop up, yes. Mm. You're on Twitter here saying, Kylian Mbappe's decision to stay at Paris Saint-Germain, a massive boost for their incoming sporting director, Kylian Mbappe. Is this true?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not literally true. Um, And I was quite amused that a few people on Twitter thought that that Mbappe really had been appointed uh, sporting director slash coach slash head of
0: recruitment So what does it say, apart from a very great number of zeros in the contract, apparently, that that is leading to kind of greater responsibility? What what exactly is it?
2: Well, he is obviously getting more of a say in what PSG do um, in terms of the the structure of their their management structure, basically. Um, And Leonardo, the sporting director, has already been sacked. The expectation is that Mauricio Pochettino will depart as well uh, in the coming days or the coming weeks Um, and the reports here are that Luis Campos uh, will replace uh, Leonardo having been the man who took Mbappe to uh, Monaco back in the day uh, and having also been the guy who, who built Lille's well first of all Monaco's title winning squad uh, in 2016, and 17, and then Lille's title-winning squad last season, not a kind of perfect fit for PSG. I wouldn't have thought Campos in the sense that he's very good at at, at finding bargains, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, identifying young players who can be brought in and then and then uh, sold on at, at huge profits. Whereas PSG kind of needs battle-ready players. Um, but the suggestion is that that is something that has kind of come out of PSG's talks with. Uh, Mbappe and his family—that um, you know that Campos is, is someone he would, you know, who he would be happy to see brought in—and um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure over the weeks ahead we'll get more of a sense of, of you know, what kind of say Mbappe is getting behind the scenes. But I mean, it's, it's been clear from. You know, from the outside that there is there's very little kind of coherence to, to what PSG are doing on the football front. And I think I think from Mbappe, one of the conditions for him staying at des France was was having, you know, some kind of structure that, 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 that will help PSG to obtain, um, you know, a, a more coherent playing identity that will, right. you know, that, that will help them kind of make that make that final step in the Champions League, which, of course, they're still they're still waiting. to They
0: still are, aren't they? We're all shaking our heads. I hope it just goes at the thought of it, Adrian, games, Don't
1: you? I just hope it goes so wrong. Um <laughs> because I mean what, what do the teammates think of that? Seriously. You got a lad okay, he's a brilliant player, he's a spectacular talent. Arguably yeah, probably the world's best. But he should not be making decisions related to the team and, and those teammates around him, it's it's really bad potentially for, for team spirit, for unity, togetherness, etc etc. So yeah, and it's 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 clearly not great for football that that you know this this state-run club have been able to just give him a gargantuan fee that, that no one else you know could match. It's, it's not healthy, is it?
3: Yeah, I do find the whole thing. I mean, it's obviously incredibly bizarre. Adrian's right to point out the the issues with you know team unity in terms of PSG. I don't think it's the worst move. You know, if, if Campos is not you know he let's he's not going to be you know scouring league dirt for the the best signings to PSG, of course. But if he can look at a slightly different market than they have been shopping in, I think that probably does make sense. You know, the Lionel Messi transfer hasn't really worked. The Sergio Ramos transfer hasn't really worked. There is an argument that if you are going to pay Mbappe so much money, then it might be useful to have some non, you know, £100 million contracts in your squad Mm. as well. And if Campos can find those, that can work. The the big question, which I guess we don't know yet, is who replaces Pochettino because that's going to be the the defining thing and Tom will know more about that than me.
0: Well, yeah Tom over to you
3: Yeah we, lots of names being
2: bandied around I mean Zinedine Zidane is is someone whose name pops up quite a lot and if you read some reports here he's still PSG's number one target other reports say that actually you know he, he doesn't really fit the bill and um, in L'Equipe this morning they were suggesting that, that what PSG want is, is another kind of dynamic coach who, who is going to come in with, with a game plan um, rather than a Zidane figure who is is more of a kind of, if, if not a vibes guy, then a sort of, well, <laughs> set your team up defensively and then basically just manage the egos, which he did brilliantly at, at Real Madrid, similar sort of approach to Carlo Ancelotti. What PSG have tried in, in recent years is is to bring in managers who have very clear ideas about the sort of football they want to see and who want to play sort of front foot, very vertical Uh, Football with with lots of pressing, you know, Unai Emery, Thomas Tuchel, Mauricio Pochettino, but none of them have have succeeded in doing that. So I'm, you know, slightly puzzled as to why they think that that is still the route to go down and why they're not looking for a Zidane figure or an Ancelotti figure who can kind of come in and basically just try and keep everyone happy. Um, Mm. But for all the kind of reservations about the, you know, the pretty obscene uh, amounts of, of money involved and... The, the moral quandary of having this state-backed club that is, is you know, just basically using PSG for, for sports-washing purposes. For French football, you know, eternally maligned as it is, it is incredibly rare for a player to turn down the chance to join Real Madrid. I mean, you, you go back to Raymond Coppa leaving Stade Hans to join Real Madrid in the 1950s. This is what happens to the great French players. Zidane going to, going to Juventus, you know, Benzema. The expectation here all along has been, of course, Mbappe is going to go to Real Madrid. You know, they're his sort of dream club. And I suspect one day he, he probably will end up going to Real Madrid. But, for, you know, for, for French football, which has had a, you know, a, a pretty rough time of it with COVID, but also with a collapsed Media Pro TV deal, um, it's a real sort of shot in the arm that, that, you know, that the one superstar player is sticking around uh, after a period of sort of 12 months when pretty much everyone
0: assumed that he was going Hmm. All right, well, we'll hear much more about that in the Totally Football Show European Edition with uh, Alvaro James and quite a lot of Julien. Very good. Uh, Now, also out, controversially not with Matt Davis Adams at the helm, is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, which does also touch on European stories, in this case, of course, the Women's Champions League final, which saw Leon smack down Barcelona, a 3-1 win to return to the top. Of the European mm. pile in women's football,
3: yeah, it, it felt it felt like a, a kind of good result for the footballing soul. Although it should be said that Barcelona are not quite the you know they are a behemoth through talent and coaching as well as money. Um, and there was this, this supposition that this was going to kind of prove to be the the final kind of knockings of the old era of, of, of Leon's dominance and a kind of of Wolfsburg's slight decline and it was really I thought it was really refreshing that leon as you say kind of they did kind of smack down barcelona barcelona probably i suspect suffered from from having things so easily domestically you know they they did win every single game of their league campaign and most of them you know with great ease and i think that probably did hamper them but you know all power to leon because it was a it was a phenomenal performance that we didn't really see coming
2: mm. One of the goals of the season as well, Amandine Henry to open the score of about 30, 35 yards. Absolutely hell of a goal.
3: Henry came in on Poteus and it's Henry with the F and oh, wow! Amandine Henry with a spectacular goal for Lyon!
0: Well, that and much more about Saturday's final will be celebrated in the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, which is out on Tuesday. There you go, back to the Premier League for now. Spurs sealed a top four place with a 5-0 win at Norwich. Spurs didn't Spurs it on a day of much confusion and head-spinning drama. They knuckled down and did the biz at Carroll Road. Here's a Football 365 with a fun stat. Spurs have now qualified for the Champions League in each of the last seven Premier League seasons, apart from the ones in which they have employed Jose Mourinho. I mean, there's no call for that kind of sniping. What a curious coincidence. Son, getting the golden boot. Everyone's happy about that, surely. well, at least sharing it with Mo Salah. And Harry Kane, fourth in the top scoring charts on 17 goals, which given how the season started, it's just uh, just remarkable. Conte, I think we'll all agree, has done a remarkable job. What a shame he's leaving.
3: Well, there, there, there was a, another remarkable stat, which is that the only Premier League player to score more goals than Harry Kane since Conte came into the Premier League at Spurs is, is Youngmin son. Which is, just I mean, it demonstrates firstly the the power of that front three, the brilliant business done in January, and we can't underestimate that. But also for you know for Christian Romero, who has basically learnt on the job how he can be the leader of a Spurs back three, or as it is normally, and I think he's been. I had him in my team of the season. I think he's been astonishing this season. He's he's 24 years old and this is his first Premier League season and he was initially, or he is, he is still officially on loan, although they'll make that deal permanent. Um, Conte has been brilliant. I think he will stay now. It's great You to think hear. he will? I, yeah, I think so. I think that the Champions League makes it. We're already hearing Harry Kane talk of next season.
0: That totally logically makes sense, but the, the word on Sunday night, and we are recording this on Monday morning, the word on Sunday night was that having qualified for the Champions League and had he having achieved the miracle of getting Tottenham Hotspur into the top four, as, as he kind of framed it, that he talked to the club and said, OK, I need guarantees that I'm going to be dealing with a slightly stronger hand or Delta slightly stronger hand next time around. And the club weren't able to match the kind of expectation. I don't know. You often see this kind of manoeuvring, positioning, etc.,
2: yeah. But some. I mean, folk, he, it's pure Conte, isn't
3: it? Yeah, unless he thinks he's unless he's 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 adamant that he he can or will get the Paris Saint Germain job. Exactly. I don't really see any benefit to him leaving. In that, I don't, there's no obvious club he would walk into unless, for example, Ancelotti took that job and he wanted to go to Real Madrid. But they feel like a team who can kick on now. Harry Kane's talking about his excitement at next season. Youngman's son is in the form of his life. He's managed to freshen up the team in the course of a January transfer window, which is almost unheard of at, at mm. any big club. And they now have a full summer, his first full summer. The, the greatest compliment I can pay to him is it feels like he's been there for ages. I think that's partly because of the amount of kind of leaking and you know squabbling behind the scenes. But it's also because it feels like a natural home for him now. And he's now got a full summer ahead.
1: That, that front three really enjoy playing conte football don't they i think what the the key difference is that spurs were, weren't just weren't getting the ball to those three early enough obviously kulusevski wasn't there earlier on in the season um conte's made them fitter faster stronger more progressive in the way that they attack and they get the ball sooner and when you if you give kane son kulusevski space they will destroy you son of all the players that that scored 10 or more goals was the best finisher so a third of his shots this season found the back of the net, which is just bonkers, really. That is just ridiculous. Obviously, Bentancur and Kulisewski have proved that you can, if you plan and and you you select the right players, you can improve in January. Kulisewski has a direct goal contribution once every 97 minutes. Um, which that might not mean that much to you, but when you think Son, who has been spectacular this season, can't beat that. He's on a goal contribution every hundred point seven minutes. Mm. That's how good he's been. Amazing. All right. Well,
0: is Conte about to walk away from all of that? Time will tell. Leaving a Chiringuito style pause there.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think if you, you know you look at you look at Spurs, you look at the players they have. Particularly with the, with the two lads they brought in, in in January, and they're a Champions League level team. Um, there are players in that in that Spurs team who belong in the Champions League. Antonio Conte is clearly a, a Champions League level manager. Um, although I, when you when you look when you look at the when you although, but when you look at the final standings, I, I when you look at the, the final standings, I think the remarkable thing is how close Arsenal got to denying them a Champions League place. When you look at the the golf inexperience levels. Between the two squads, I, you know, I, I feel like Tottenham are a, a fitting fourth place team, but but fair play to Arsenal for pushing them as mm. pushing them as as close as they did with you know with what you know what is a very inexperienced squad and, and with a pretty inexperienced manager.
1: Wow, that this goes against the narrative that I hear everywhere else of how Arsenal bottled it and 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 you know should be ashamed of their season. Well, well said, well done, Tom. Very good. There you go.
0: Arsenal yeah. wrapping it up with a five-one win against Everton who equal their worst-ever Premier League points tally and their worst-ever away record. Hmm. There you go. Uh, Also, on this final weekend, Crystal Palace beating Man United 1-0. Wonderful scenes uh, post-game with Ralph Ranjit, the man supposedly brought in to shape the club's future, guide the selection process for his replacement, revealing he was the one man at Selhurst Park who didn't know that Eric Ten Hag was actually there and he hadn't even (laughs) spoken to him yet. So... Mm.
3: telepathic understanding already, (laughs) by the sound of it. It's a real
2: sign of the times as well that that Eric ten Hag, in his very fleeting appearances over the weekend, looks less like, you know, the the superstar new manager of the country's biggest club and more like, almost like a kind of a a, a convict or something, in the sense that there was that picture of him that emerged on Twitter sort of uh, sitting in the back of a car obviously you know photographed through the window and then as he's leaving the ground he's kind of pursued all the way by Gary Cottrell from Sky Sports News shoving a microphone under his nose trying to get a comment out of it and Eric Harg just doesn't want to speak to him gets into his car and Gary Cottrell Blanker is kind of like his head. pressed against the glass and that's that's what being the manager of Manchester United is these days. It is just sort of being sort of stressed and harried, and not wanting anyone to re- to see you or hear what you have to say. Mm. Um, so hopefully,
0: yeah, hopefully we'll hear a bit more from him <laughs> uh, before the start of next season. Yeah, Patrick Vieira has been stressed and harried post game, of course, in, in recent days. Uh, masterminding their first win over United, Crystal Palace, at has Park for thirty-one years, and that was thanks to Wilfried Zaha's fifteenth. Goal of the season.
1: Yeah, they they serenaded Vieira, um, the Arsenal fans, at Emirates Stadium. Did they? Um, Obviously, because it was Everton that they were up against. uh, So the the Vieira chance went around the ground pretty loudly, actually, particularly in the first 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, he's a strong man. He's not the kind of person that that you want to mess with on a pitch invasion. And uh, yeah, I don't blame him, really, for for what happened Mm. there.
0: Indeed not. All right. It was Conor Gallagher's last game for Palace, Probably. It was Martin Atkinson's last game as a referee, not the only one. Uh, John Moss also hanging up his whistle. He can now concentrate on running his record shop in Leeds, called the Vinyl Whistle, the Final Whistle.
2: Hmm. That, I mean, that is, I, I must admit, John Moss has, has leapt up in my estimation on knowing that he, I mean, it, had, had it just been the knowledge that he owns and runs a record shop, right. um, that would have been enough. But the fact that it's also called the Vinyl Whistle... Um, fair play I quite enjoyed the, um, the shirt that the Leicester players presented him with on his retirement which said something like <laughs> what did it say um, so pleased you're retiring um, yeah and, uh, with a picture and of Jamie Kasper Vardy Michael, Kasper Schmeichel and Jamie Vardy handed it over to him and Casper Schmeichel <laughs> grinning from ear to ear and Jamie Vardy playing it totally deadpan as if he really is happy that he's never <laughs> going to be refereed <laughs> by John Moss ever again yeah
3: so good, so yeah. good. and also um, Mike Dean as well well, yeah. Did he get uh, a special gift from anyone at Stamford Bridge? I don't think he did. I mean, there was all this sort of, sort of semi banter about him sending himself off in the 90th minute or or something. I mean, on a on a probably unnecessarily serious point, losing those three referees, losing any three referees in the Premier League at the moment is not a good time for that to happen. Because if you've watched the Championship or League One as Adrian has this season. You know, there's not some diamonds hiding in the rough in the in the EFL at the moment. So the academy yeah. is
1: floundering. Let me tell you. Yeah, it's yeah. Not there good. is a yeah. there's a, a fairly big issue there. Mm.
2: And also, Mike Dean and John Moss are two of the only referees who who I find it easy to distinguish from all the other ones, in the sense that most Quite referees personal. kind of uh, are <laughs> all kind no? of the same, aren't they? I mean, How I don't to- think I'd, I. I don't think I. I mean, I'd recognise their faces, Hmm. and I know what their names are. Mm -hmm. But I'm 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 suspicious of of anyone who who can who could you know confidently name and identify every single Premier League referee. You know why are you looking at the referee so
1: closely? For that's not what the game's all about. on, on, On that note, how would you rank those three? Are we, to- are we talking in terms of competence or, or just kind of, you I would know, go en- entertainment oh. value? Uh, well, entertainment value, Dean. Dean clearly, clearly wins. I think in terms of being a good referee, I'd probably go Atkinson, Dean Moss. What are you saying?
3: May I'd maybe have Dean. I think Dean's a better referee than he gives himself. He he allows himself to be given credit for um, because of the the showmanship. But yeah, probably the same order. Um, yeah, I think
2: I'd probably have John Moss bottom as well. But fair play for having successfully refereed um, his entire career, despite never once leaving the centre circle. I and mean, <laughs> to do that at, at this level and in this
1: day and age takes some doing. So, you know, hats off John Moss. He's part of the revamp, isn't he? I think Atkinson and Moss have been employed by the PGMOL to, to be part of the sort of beefed up setup there um, for and next what, and, and what will Mike Dean be doing? Surviving me, yeah. Yeah, okay. Trish,
3: yeah. home and away. away. Fair play yeah. to him. Hmm.
2: Surely he's going to get a TV show somewhere. Huh? I am he's got it. like this. This. This can't. But Mike Dean is not going to. You know, end up he'll be in the jungle. Sort of
1: going That's off say, it's got, I'm a jungle, jungle or strictly. It, it? Yeah, jungle or strictly. Now
0: All right. Chelsea, by the way, in Mike Dean's final Premier League appearance, beating Watford two-one, in the process becoming the first team in Premier League history to go a whole season without trailing. At half time, that's for me a remarkable
1: statistic. First half invincibles. You should probably get a little gold trophy for that. Right, it? if half, Premier League half, games half ended trophy. at half time, yeah, they'd be... <laughs> only ten goals conceded from Chelsea wow. in thirty-eight home matches. That that is that's very solid, isn't it? Mm. Considering how far off they were of the title race in the end, shows how how badly they tailed off in the second half of matches. Yep.
0: And the one other game this weekend.
1: Leicester four, Saints one. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, my thoughts are not on the game. Obviously, Madison finished the season strongly. Vardy, as well, despite all that's going on in his sort of personal life at the moment, He's still he's one of those players that's just always been able to switch off, press that button, just park it, and deliver on the pitch, hasn't he? But no, I think my my key thought here is on Southampton and what they do. Just if ever there feels like a club is sort of treading water at the moment. It's Southampton. And I just wonder what's going to happen with Ralph Hassenhuter. It's just a pattern. I rate him. I think he's a good coach. I, I like a lot of what he does. But every single season, they t- they just tail off, don't they? And, and, and they end up going nowhere. I, I kind of think that they need some f- a fresh voice in there, personally. Get poch So I'd be interested to see what happens. Yeah,
3: They are in big trouble if, if James Ward-Prowse leaves. Because there comes a point a tipping point where you can't just sell your best players every summer and hope to tread water and life is always going to be incredibly hard for the promoted clubs and next season I think more than ever with with Leeds and Everton staying up and Newcastle staying up and and Burnley Watford and Norwich going I think they were probably the three teams in the Premier League this season who promoted clubs would have liked to stick around uh, and but that puts clubs like Southampton in a in a much more difficult position they've got these new owners they've got the new investment but they really need to make good on it because it just, as agent as says everything just feels very tired
2: but they didn't lose nine nil for once this season so mm. progress
5: of sorts looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based
3: live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
5: We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs, maximum free bet is 10 pounds, excludes enhanced match odds, online exclusives, and T's and C's apply.
0: That was the final, final round of the campaign. Looking back, Tom, what would be your highlight of the last, how many months was it? Eight, nine? Nine months. Good chunk I think. of your life's just gone with that. Man City are champions again. What do you treasure? What do you take away?
2: I mean, it was, it's been a great season
0: uh, with a great title race,
2: um, with some great storylines. And obviously, you know, I think that the main thing, you know, thinking back to the start of the season in August, how, how great it felt to have uh, full stadiums again. Um, mm. And although you know, Covid did, did have uh, an impact on the season, notably with all those cancellations, you know, during the, the Omicron wave in mid-season, you know, having had, you know, a pretty normal season uh, after two very abnormal seasons uh, was, was great. And I think has done us all good. Um, in terms of, you know, sort of moment in the season, if I had to pick a sporting moment, a kind of high point, I think I'd probably go for that Mo Salah goal uh, against Man City back in October.
5: Salah. He's done it again. Mo Salah. Still Salah. Oh!
4: Right. Take your hands off to Mo Salah.
2: And for a kind of like a non-sporting moment, uh, I guess Christian Eriksen's comeback is, mm. is, you know, was the great feel-good moment because the, you know, the sort of, the shared trauma, if you like, of of, of watching that Denmark game at, at, at the Euro and 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 that you know that, that absolutely horrendous feeling that that we all felt seeing this player who you know who we'd all watched for so many years and and someone who inspired such you know, such warm feelings both for, you know, the wonderful footballer that he is and also, you know, clearly that the lovely guy that he is. So, you know, for him to come back and you know, and not just you know, not just come back because someone's doing a favour, come back because he's because he's still got the level. Um, mm. and to have the impact he had at Brentford uh, in the second half of the season. I mean it was it was like he it was like he'd never been away and, and, and that was fantastic. And I think it was kinda if there was a, a, a particular moment that, that summed up uh, how happy we all were to to see Christian Eriksen back! It was that the uh, the Brandon Williams tangle uh, <laughs> when Brentford came up against Norwich when Brandon Williams looked set to lamp Christian Eriksen and then realised that he he actually had a national treasure uh, in his arms uh, and great. probably gave him gave him a little cuddle.
0: That was a, that was a nice one. No, wonderful choices, Tom. Daniel Adrian, do you, anything you'd like to add to those? Yeah,
3: he's he's railroaded over my Christian Eriksen. Uh, Brandon Williams hug. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the oh, I had it too. I
1: had it too. Amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's the the totally show telepathy. <laughs>
3: the, in terms, of the best goal I saw live was definitely Bernardo Silvers at Aston Villa, oh, which I would a pick as a goal what of the, the season. For and that how that of, didn't make the goal of the season shortlist much
2: today. By the way, can
1: you describe it, Travis?
3: Yeah. So so City are under a little bit of pressure on the edge of their own area and do what they always do, which is play those impossible passes to each other as if they're not stood on the edge of a cliff. Uh, and so Mar- Riyad Mahrez sort of dinks the ball over to Fernandinho backwards towards his own goal. Fernandinho kind of bursts forwards and plays this kind of curling ball down the channel to Gabriel Jesus, who everyone thinks is going to drive at goal because he has room to do it. And instead, he plays his first time cr- bending cross. Basically exactly the same ball as Fernandinho's played across the goal. And again, Bernardo Silva could easily take a touch and just kind of thrash his home volley left-footed.
5: Sterling is up, moving rather gingerly, but moving. Gabriel Chases. Bernardo Silva! Oh, Pick that up! Oh,
3: what a finish! Almost like, sort of Robin Van Persie-esque, it's the volley, I think, in that he, he doesn't try and apply power to it. And yet, by just using his foot as a guide, he somehow manages to create a huge amount of power and yeah, thrashes past Emi Martinez. It was... Um, yeah, I think that was the best goal. Maybe one of the best goals I've ever seen live.
2: I mean, it, it was one of the great Premier League goals. Um, and wasn't and deserves, in the shortlist. Deserves to be remembered as such. Wasn't in the match of the day shortlist. Um, and not to... Uh, not, not to feed any Manchester City fan conspiracy <laughs> theories, because there are enough of those knocking around. <laughs> um, but you do kind of wonder if Bernardo Silva had a different shirt on his back, whether a little bit more might have been made of the red I think
3: we're just. I think that that kind of brilliance is just normalised in that team. I think that that's what happens. Uh, you know, every part of that goal was, other than Bernardo's finish, was to, for City players was relatively simple. It's what they they do. Um, but in combination it was and it was I mean it was probably a six or seven second break from one end to the other. It was nothing wasted.
1: Yeah, I would echo everything that the two boys have said. I think that on a broader scale, the Liverpool City slugfests were just a joy to watch because neither manager cared about the other's strengths. It was all about how, how we could hurt the opposition. And having watched a lot of tactical stalemates down the years, a lot of caution, it was so refreshing to see two of the best teams in Premier League history just go at it and, and have a bit of fun with it in matches that that really mattered. Uh, that that was an absolute joy for me. Um, I also enjoyed. Um, the Sky Sports ding dong with Keane and Carragher with Hasselbank kind of caught in the middle, trying <laughs> yeah. to keep a straight face or trying to just like kind of having a little mischievous grin, wasn't he? That was a particular highlight. And and a little moan, if you'll allow me, just the late flags, uh, just late flags. Please let it stop. Please let it stop. It's, it, it's just just a complete. It just winds me up. It winds everybody up. I think. And, and sooner or later, someone someone's going to break a leg or something because we play on needlessly and 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 whatnot so yeah that was that was a little bit of a bugbear this year Mm. but we'll have automated offsides before
0: long so it'll be a yeah be a thing of the past bring that on yeah is that something that's currently being trialed
3: it was was trialed at the fifa arab cup it is perfectly logical that it may come in for the 2022 world cup if those trials go well how does it work
0: is that what the sports bras do it's, I mean seriously, because uh, you got telemetry or like a, a GPS on your. No, I'm not
3: sure. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it's it might be complete. I'm, I'm, it has something to do with lasers, I think.
2: Lasers. Woo! Well, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think it just uses the existing technology, doesn't it? Because I mean, like we, you know, you've already got the Hawkeye that right. they use for for VAR offsides. So I think it's just using that more. Using okay. That more. Is lasers. it booze?
1: Is it top of the arm? What is it? What, what's the measure? <laughs> We wow. need to know, but I do but
2: like the, the, the
4: answer
0: for like everything. It. I think for pitch invasions as well, high-powered lasers <laughs> stationed around <laughs> four but corners I mean, deploy. I
1: mean, it's so hard being a linesman. You need four eyes to be a linesman. It's so hard. Um, mm. So yeah, this can't. Providing it's reliable, this can't come soon enough. Okay, what would the linesman do then? Yeah, I mean, I thought for the linesman, as, as yeah.
2: we're talking about about lines about linesman about a, a assistant uh, referees. Mm. I'm trying to think who did it. Was it The Times? Someone made a kind of uh, video exercise a couple of years back, and it was, you are the linesman. And it was, watch these videos of close offside calls and declare whether they are offside or onside. And it was impossible it's, it's basically, it's, it's almost physically impossible to, to, to look in, in two places at once, as Adrian says. And I, as much as, as refereeing gets maligned and as much as, you know, the, the arrival of, of VAR has, has put offside decisions in the spotlight, I think the accuracy of offside calls... You know, particularly compared to where the game was, you know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, you know, you want to see scandalous offside calls, you know, find a match of the day from like 1981 or something. I mean, the the, the accuracy of, of of offside calls these days is so good. Even before you, you have to refer them to VAR. So, yeah, a, a nod to our hardworking, hardworking, overlooked assistant referees, particularly as they may Soon seem, to be to be replaced by, <laughs> seem to be replaced by literal robots.
3: My, my, one of my... Minute bugbears of football is in our commentary when there's a close off sky call, they say that the assistant has just got that right. And I think, no, 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 that you've got that the wrong way around. If they've just got it right, it's a brilliant decision. Your comment mm. should be that's a brilliant decision by the assistant referee, not oh, he's just got that right.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, well, that was football, that was the Premier League, and it'll be back soon enough, early August ahead of the unusually timed World Cup in Qatar. Before that, this week sees the Conference League, of course, Wednesday in Albania, Roma against Nord, and uh, James will be talking about that in the Totally Football Show European edition, Champions League on Saturday. Matt Davis adams Natch, will be here with this show on Thursday, reacting to the first of those and looking forward to the, the second. I'm away for a week or two with the strongman.
1: Do you go out for a protein shake after it's all done and dusted? Is that how no. it works? No. Do,
0: what, okay. with the boys?
1: What? Yeah, yeah. I,
4: I
0: have enjoyed a drink with the, the fellas. <laughs> Bit of winding down after flipping a tar or two, pulling a truck. Those aren't euphemisms. Um, <laughs> but yeah. No, but well, they're a great bunch of guys, and they put together a quite extraordinary sporting spectacle. I felt very, very honoured to be able to move from one extraordinary competition to another. Anyway, you'll be able to see the fruits of that, hopefully, come Christmas. And, of course, before all over social media because that's (laughs) how it works. But anyway, yeah, so I'm away for a bit and Matt Davis-Adams will be at the helm because the Totally Football Show will be continuing twice weekly right through the summer. Madness.
3: Mm -hmm. I've got one of those summers where... Because of the early start date of next season, the women's Euros final is on July the 31st and the start of the championship season is on July the 30th. And there's nothing like the overlap in seasons to make you realise that you're really not going to get much of a break given Nations League in June as well. Mm.
0: Yeah, indeed. Well, many thanks to Tom, Daniel and Adrian for today and producer Charlie as ever. And you, listener, hope you've enjoyed... I'll wrap up on this final day of action. We will be back on Thursday, or at least really. some of you will. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. And everybody have a great time in the meanwhile. Cheerio.
5: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
4: The Athletic.